perseverance, the ability to continue on no matter the obstacles. When others fall to the back of the pack, the strong have the ability to continue on no matter the journey. Trudging through the desert with sand-filled winds ripping at your skin, you continue on. In the downpour of a storm or the cold blistering snows at night, you continue on. To build your nest egg for decades only to have it burned to the ground, forced then to rebuild from scratch. Though you don't deserve it, again, you continue on. You always have and you always will. This is based, biased, or BS. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to the podcast where two best friends tell one true story. My name is Maddie. And I am Zach. (laughs) And this is Based, Biased, or BS. You betcha. (laughs) Should we add that at the end? No, I hate it. (laughs) How you doing? (sighs) Oh, you know, I'm just trying to laugh as much as I can. Okay. Oh, okay. That's... (laughs) That's not a red flag for today. Uh, uh, yeah, it's an episode today that we have for you. I'm thinking of something to talk about. Oh, should mm-hmm. I ask you how you are? <laughs> <laughs> Typically, that is how that conversation goes. Oh, I'm crying. Okay. Um, hi, hi, Maddie. How are you? <laughs> I'm fine. I'm fine, Zita Dean. I'm, I'm fine, Zachy. <laughs> You're oh, crying. Sorry. I know, that just got me good. I forgot how to talk for a second. <laughs> I forgot how to have a normal conversation. It's okay. We're, times are hard. <laughs> times, are, <laughs> times are hard. and They've been harder, though. They have been harder. <laughs> And today we're going to talk about some hard times. Mm. Um, so what did you watch for today's episode? Well, yep. This episode I watched The Watchmen episode <laughs> one, season one. Correct. And, and my, my, what a short span of time to feel so many emotions. Mm. <laughs> I will yeah. say. And you really went in blind, right? You yeah. did not know what no was idea. happening. had no idea. No idea what the series was, no idea what the premise was, no idea the story unfolding before my very eyes. I did watch a couple times. Okay. And catch a few more things. Okay, nice. I that's the experience that I had when I watched it. I had no idea I watched it when it first came out. I don't remember what year, and I had no idea what was gonna happen and I just started the episode and was kind of shocked. Yeah. After realizing what I was watching, uh-huh. do some research on the actors just to see if they, the actors that were portraying the um, main people involved in this based on a true story situation. And mm-hmm. um, so there's a man playing Bass Reeves, who was a real person. 
Okay. Um, Once Upon a Time. I don't know if that name comes up for you at all. I don't think I have anything on him, but I do recall coming across that name. There was a lot of names to yeah, choose from. I think a lot of names. Um, so Bastards is the U.S. Marshal of Oklahoma. Oh, wait. I think. At least according to what I saw, that is what was portrayed for me. Um, but he was played by an actor named Jamal Akakpo. Um, I couldn't find too much on him. I think he does some like background kind of stuff. He has quite a few credits on like IMDb. Is that the order? Okay. ID- IMDb. IMDb yeah, database. Okay. I, I <laughs> Those, <am> letters. <laughs> Those letters will get you. Um, <laughs> there is also <laughs> um, the a man who plays Obi Williams. Okay. Who should be, I, I believe, someone that you're going to talk about eventually. No? Um, or the so, someone else with the last name of Williams. I have a lot of names, and I'm having a hard time finding them throughout my notes. Okay. No worries As about I that. scroll and try to look at them, so okay. I'm unsure. Okay. Well, so he was like the main character, I guess, one of the main characters of this flashback scenario that i watched and that is um he was played by a man named Stephen gene norfleet and he was also on chicago pd oh. so you may have a man of our own city a man of our own city you may see him around sometime perhaps <laughs> and then uh the woman playing his wife ruth williams is named alexis louder um she's also known for the tomorrow war and cop shop Okay. On IMDb. Um, these are like all, I feel like people that are still kind of on the rise too. And they're like, they yeah. do have um, Instagram presences. So if anyone, if you want to follow them or follow their careers, I feel like these are some cool up and come. Well, they're still working actively. So either way. Um, and then yeah. Danny Boyd Jr. plays a young Will Reeves. Um, and he's the young boy who's the center of the story that I watched. And he was actually mm-hmm. on Stranger Things. Um oh. As well as the show Bruised and hashtag Free Ray Sean. So a lot of people with some other acting chops. But as, yeah. I, as I watched it through, I was like, oh, there are specific names these people are saying. And I did kind of figure out the first time watching it what I was watching. And then I was like, oh, oh, they're giving me more specific. I, there's so many details in this <laughs> little, little nugget of time. How long of the episode was it? Seven minutes. Wow. Like pre-credits. It was just the pre-credit before uh, okay. the title. It's like the cold open of the whole. Yeah. Wow. I can't imagine the task of telling the story that I'm about to tell in seven minutes. It definitely is like right at the peak of like climax of everything. Right. It's okay. like seconds before everything happens. Okay. Got you. Which I understand how watching it multiple times, they had to pack just like information, information into every second of that mm-hmm. seven minutes. So I guess we haven't actually talked about it, but today's episode is going to be about the Tulsa Race Massacre, which mm-hmm. occurred in 1921, and which yeah. is how the first episode of The Watchmen starts. Um, so a little bit behind, like when I had that um, experience of watching it, I watched the episode, did not really know what had just happened, except for this like massive tragedy. I did not know it was a real event until way after the fact. I had Mm. thought it was part of the show. 
a historical like flashback scene for the show to build upon but i did not know it was a real event because the show doesn't make any like claim of like this is true or or this event you're about to see is true or whatever um so yeah and then when i learned that i was like wow what a a privileged little life i live i should do some research and this is kind of a story that was behind the idea of this podcast when I was thinking of the first ones that I could do or ones that I would want to do. This was definitely one of them. And you kind of inspired me with when you said Spencer last week, I was like, oh my gosh, that's like a big one. So I was like, I could do a big one. Let's just go for it. And so I'm a little nervous about covering this topic, but it is a story that I believe should get all the attention that even our little Mm -hmm. podcast can give it. Sure. Agreed. So just in general, this is also a very heavy topic that has a lot of just like straight up black tragedy in it. So if that's not something you are looking for or want to listen to right now, like completely understandable and not something that I like want to super highlight on the podcast many times. I think this story is important to tell, so I want to tell it. But um, in the future, Mm -hmm. I'd love to tell black success stories. Um, So this event is considered one of the worst single incidents of racial violence in American American history and has been described as one of the deadliest terrorist attacks in the history of the United States. Um, Just to really prep us for what's about to come. A couple sources that I wanted to talk about actually in the episode. We'll always put our sources in like the episode description if you want to look into those. But one I wanted to talk about, a podcast that is called Black History for White People And it is like a group of three people going through kind of what we're going to do today of like historical events, but specifically um, black history. Mm -hmm. And then there's also a um, New York Times article called or titled What the Tulsa Race Massacre Destroyed. And it really focuses on the town that we're going to talk about. And you can actually do like a virtual kind of walkthrough of the town and look at everything that um, was there which is like a cool for me especially visual kind of learn thing okay so to fully understand what we're going to talk about today and the atmosphere like i talked about um, we're going to go back in history a bit so we're going to start this true story back in the year 1863 with the abolishment of slavery in the united states by the passing of the emancipation proclamation which I remember these words from like elementary school, but mm-hmm. they and they had like a textbook definition to them that I memorized for a test. But now when I relearn it as an adult, they all have like it's like kind of weirdly tainted. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. The way we learned it was very um, from a white perspective. Yeah. And just like vocabulary words. Yeah. I was like. Emancipation Proclamation passed by Abraham Lincoln. And I'm like, I don't actually understand any of these concepts, just like the words. Um, So let's brush up on our American history, shall we? Mm. I I took AP U.S. history and I was so bad at it. You were bad bad at it? it? How are you be bad at it? Um, Because I didn't try. Oh, yeah, I was going to say, it's memorization, <laughs> and you're an act, like... <laughs> it was kind of in my phase of, like, <laughs> there was cool people in my class, so I was, like, kind of, like, didn't want to be too, like... <laughs> oh, did you, oh, no, don't tell me you fell prey. 
I can't be smart and cool. Ugh, you look I was really gunning freak. for. <laughs> I was gunning for prom king. I couldn't well, be too I smart. Well, I guess you were successful, but like, don't kids don't do that. It's oh, not cool to act dumb. Yeah, don't do that. If you're a child listening, why are you listening? First of all, but yeah, well, probably I guess shouldn't listen. Where am I? We're <laughs> we're school appropriate, maybe. Okay, so let's get back to the story. Um, Abraham Lincoln passed this executive order, the Emancipation Proclamation, and demanded the inf- the freedom of enslaved people, mm-hmm. as well as enabling these same people, but only the men, to enlist in the Union Army. Mm-hmm. So this is all what he proclaims, quote unquote, or emancipates, I mean, proclamates. Um, So (laughs) one of those words. So this is still during the Civil War. And now for the first time, black folks have been freed, quote unquote, and are able to help the Union side of the war. So what was said was not actually what happened and what the real economy and society could do. Um, so at the end of the Civil War in 1965, the Union troops returned north and the black folk that were still living in the South found themselves in very slave-like conditions, even mm. though it was, by the books, abolished. Sure. Because they didn't really have any type of systems other than what had already been established. And now okay. the Union soldiers leave, so the white people in the South in charge are like, we're just going to keep on keeping on. Because, oh, I kind of just talked about this. One federal order is not really going to take down an an entire economy based on slave labor, especially Mm -hmm. during a time when the South wanted to be a separate country. They're like, we don't Mm -hmm. even want to be a part of the country, so why are we going to listen to the order from the president? Right. So when the black Southerners were freed, they were given just that. You're free, no money, no savings, no nest egg or family wealth to stand upon it's just like yeah okay now Figure now what out. are you gonna do yeah like you have no land you have no possessions you have nothing what are you gonna you do have, yeah okay so there also was a promise of 40 acres and a mule i've heard, heard of that? this i remember yeah. this um so it was a promise that was given it said that 40 acres and a mule would be given to every enslaved man but the promise fell through and was rescinded by the next president, Andrew Johnson, mm. because there was a presidency switch. And then he was like, I don't have to agree to something Lincoln did. And yeah. he was a South sympathizer. So he yeah. just said, nope. And I'm going to give all of this land back to the quote unquote original owners right. of the actually stolen land from indigenous Native people. Right. Um, it, it's, like from a textbook and what we kind of learned it was all like yay it's done but nothing really it's, changed yeah and now enter to the stage sharecropping do you remember this term i remember the term sharecropping hard right it was definitely one of those vocab words which and in my mind when i picture the word sharecropping it sounds so beautiful where i picture everyone bringing their crops together in like a rural potluck of corn and wheat no, 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 and everyone's baby. like let's share our crops no and tragically it's maybe the furthest thing from that yeah. so don't tell picture them what that. it is tell them <laughs> <laughs> oh no not a laugh before this horrible sentence um you deal <laughs> really? with humor 
I'm sorry. Newly freed enslaved folk found sharecropping to be one of the only places for them in this new society. And basically what sharecropping was where they were basically forced because they had no other income to rent plots of land from their former plantations. Maybe not that specific plantation, but from former establishments that enslaved them in order to work that land and then get a share of the crops. Yeah. So essentially they were just doing the same thing, but they had to pay to work the land and they were given in return some of the crops that they had tended to. So it's like, it just shows you how bad of a position they were in. Like you can clearly see that is a horrible business model. Like they're making no money in return but that was their best option. That's a little bit of where like Tulsa, Oklahoma is built upon. Um, the actual city founder is a, I didn't write his name down cause fuck him, but he is a Ku Klux Klan member as well. Mm-hmm. So the founder of the city is also that. Eventually over decades, black families were able to start building their nest egg like little by little by little. And they were able to think about their futures and what their lives could end up looking like. And that brings us to the story for today's episode. So we're in 2000. Wrong. (laughs) We're not in 2000. We're in 1921 in Tulsa, Oklahoma, specifically the neighborhood of Greenwood. So Greenwood was a black segregated neighborhood Mm -hmm. in the newly admitted state of Oklahoma. So Oklahoma had just become a state and Tulsa was one of its first cities. By the year 1921, the neighborhood had established itself as a thriving center for business and culture with over 11,000 residents. That's a lot of people. That is a lot of people. Yeah. So because black business owners, both men and women, were succeeding like never before in this country, the neighborhood even gained the nickname the Black Wall Street. I have heard that term yeah. before. It, yeah, it comes in mm-hmm. a little bit later. Thriving. If I've ever were used a word harder, thriving. And I yes, and I think that that is actually very well articulated in the first beginning of the movie, which mm. is or sorry, beginning of the episode, yeah. which is an old western movie. It appears to be an old western movie okay. where a man in all white and a man in all black are in a, a horse chase also white horse black horse got it and the man in all black wrangles the the white horse man who's also white and he reveals himself to be bass reeves who is the u.s marshal of oklahoma who's a black man and and you watch him like bring this sheriff in front of this church who are like woohoo you got the bad guy and they're and it's a church that's like mixed races but mostly white and they're like woohoo it's bass reeves we love bass reeves so there's that fact of just like you're watching this congregation of white people cheer for a um, a black U.S. Marshal. Mm-hmm. So that is kind of reminding me of what you're saying about this success and that kind of thing where it's like, oh, people are are accepting of of this. Yeah. And then also it pans out of the old Western movie. Oh, okay. And it's into like a Tulsa. theater. Okay. Yeah. And you're watching a little, bo- a little black boy watch the movie, the, the movie and he's quoting um bass reeves alongside him with how justice will prevail and he has like this huge smile on his face so there's very much that feeling of like oh whoa 
I wasn't expecting to see that in this time period. Yeah. Yeah. So that definitely. It is definitely like at the height of this neighborhood is decades beyond it, the time period where it's a well, thriving and, black metropolis. And the music that's being played, you realize is being played by someone. It, this boy's mother is playing live music oh. to this movie. So you're like, oh, there's a black woman, woman playing music for this silent movie mm-hmm. like that to me as i'm like that's definitely a form of success yeah, yeah. too so that was pretty interesting i to love see, that alongside with what you're saying so the central point of this neighborhood was greenwood avenue which ran down the center of the town um mm-hmm. this housed um, black owned businesses and homes the first of their kind just i'm going to describe some of the people who live there and some of the businesses and just really try to picture it all. I guess you also saw it, so you get that extra help. Mm-hmm. Like the Main Street, 1920s vibe. It's So um, there was Lula and John Williams, who owned a confectionery located at 102 Greenwood Avenue. And then just on the street, the couple also owned what you just talked about, the 750-seat Williams Dreamland Theater. Did, mm. did they show a title or like a name of the movie theater at all? I don't remember if they showed that, that okay. but it it did give very much vibes of like, we probably are the owners of this. Mm. If we're the, because they were the only people in the. Oh, the theater. Theater as well. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, the Williams Dreamland Theater was 750 seats and it was at 129 Greenwood Avenue. This was the first movie theater, or they called them movie houses, for black mm-hmm. people in the city. Because remember, there's heavy, heavy segregation at the time. Yeah. So uh, the theater offered both silent films, like you talked about, and also live shows, and was a cultural gathering spot for the community. Yeah. Also I living in the neighborhood is Dr. R.T. Bridgewater. And what a 1920s name that is. Yeah. Dr. R.T. Bridgewater. Are you kidding me? Wait, are you saying R.T. like the letters R and T? Yeah. Or R.D.? It's like Dr. His first name starts with an R. His middle name starts with a T. They're both like Got it. Periods. I thought you were saying like R.D. Oh, A.R.T. Like. That's also 1920s though. I, well. <laughs> <laughs> um, so he worked as a physician and owned his own practice, which physician, remember, is a doctor. Sometimes I forget that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> he owned his own practice at... 101 to 105 Greenwood Ave. So it was a big, huge building. Um, There was a quote from the Times that people called it a big palatial palace, which felt like palatial means that, but I'm not going to judge them. Um, In addition to this, he also owned 17 rental houses in the city and was seen as a community leader. Got it. Then don't forget, we've got Susie Bell. She she owned and ran an upscale restaurant called Bell and Little Cafe with her brother, Presley Little. It was located just on the street. Across the street from the cafe, we have Buck Colbert Franklin. Do you understand now when you started saying names? I was like... Well, I think OB is maybe RT. Was he a doctor? There was also... I don't know. There was more names than I had time in this episode to cover. So... Yeah. But I see what you mean. Yeah. Um, so Buck Colbert Franklin, who worked as a lawyer, and he was running um, his own firm in the city. 
and we'll get to him later after this event he actually provided legal help to some of the victims um, out of a tent Um, so down the street from the lawyer we've got A.J. Smitherman who is a journalist and a civil rights activist and he founded in the city the Tulsa Star which was the newspaper Uh, it was ran out of 126 Greenwood Avenue Uh, The paper reported on injustices against black folk in the city and was a mouthpiece for the civil rights movement. Mm. And lastly, but certainly, as I said, not leastly, there was many that I could have chose from. Um, We have J.B. Stratford, who owned the fancy 54-room Stratford Hotel, which was known as the nation's best hotel for black Americans at the time. And this was just a very few of the businesses that were thriving in the neighborhood. A couple other honorable mentions that I saw, the Tulsa Waffle House, Madam Elizabeth Warner's Dressmaking Parlor, Oh, (laughs) what a name, Red Wing Barbershop, Mm -hmm. Welcome Grocery Company, and of course, the Mary Jones Parish School of Natural Education. Whoa, that's a mouthful. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> mouthful but madam elizabeth warner's dressmaking parlor yeah that sounds like a netflix <laughs> series and a tongue twister yeah for real we talked about the atmosphere that was leading up to 1921 but yeah. what is actually happening at this time in the city so world war one had just ended three mm-hmm. years earlier which mean and remember black men are now allowed in the fighting forces so this means a lot of men white and black had just returned home with post-war jitters can i say that they were jittery okay so the black soldiers specifically were feeling like hey we just risked our lives we saw our men die for this country and now we're returning back home and it's really setting in the rights that we don't have and we died just as much as the white people died for this country so we need to have equal rights the white citizens were desperately clinging on to their white supremacist beliefs because there's this kind of idea that no one wants to be wrong right and so when slavery ended quote unquote it really put into question a lot of supremacist beliefs like are black people really inferior because look at Greenwood the town of Greenwood it's thriving and there's there's a contradiction to the all their what they've believed for exactly yeah so it puts into question everything and so they're really trying to cling on to no we are better than them and we will prove it when the white citizens and the white police force saw the booming bustling thriving neighborhood of Greenwood, we kind of just said, they were scared, mad, and determined to destroy the community or any momentum of the citizens. Mm-hmm. Um, so what would later be known as the Tulsa Race Massacre or the Black Wall Street Massacre, that might be why you have heard that name because it sometimes goes by that name, Yes. Um, began on Monday, May 30th, when a 19-year-old black shoe shiner named Dick Rowland entered the elevator at the Drexel building at 319 South Main Street. So he worked at the shoeshiner like shop right across the street and his boss had a deal with the not a deal, more like an arrangement with the Drexel building that his shoeshiners and employees could go up to that building, go to the top floor to use the bathroom because mm. the shoeshiner place didn't have a bathroom. So that's what Dick Rowland was doing. In the elevator was the operator 
of the elevator because that's what they had at the time. And her name was Sarah Page, a 17-year-old white girl. So when I think of elevator operators, that's not who I picture. I picture an old creepy man who might be a ghost. On a stool. On a stool in a whole bellop outfit. Yeah, hat for sure. Hat for sure. Dusty AF. Can't hear what you say the first time. He you he tell him the floor. You have to tell him at least three times. Multiple. Yeah. And his name for some reason is probably Simon. Sure. Okay. Middle name George. Um, okay. But that's not who was in the elevator no. today. Today we have Sarah Page, who is seventeen year old. Um, as Dick Rowland stepped into the elevator, he tripped and grabbed onto Sarah's arm to catch himself. The young white girl screamed in this crowded lobby of this huge building. Then Dick Rowland immediately ran out. A clerk at a clothing store that was in the lobby came over to the elevator to find Sarah in a, quote, distraught state. So Clerky McGee made the assumption that Dick Rowland had sexually assaulted this girl in the elevator and immediately called the police telling that exact story. Oy, oy, oy. So the girl was Sarah was at this time freaked out or something on the ground not really telling a story and clerky mcgee decided Filled it the story. In for himself yeah i think it was herself but yeah oh yeah even though the police came and questioned sarah the um elevator operator no record or account of that interview can be found how convenient huh. because she later says and tells the newspapers and at that time the whole tripping story that's like how we know tripped. that that's the story. She's like, he tripped, he grabbed me, I screamed, and then it all just like became too much, and I got kind of like panic attacky, is what I kind of gathered from it. That's what she told the police. She says, but the police don't want that to be the story. So yeah. the next morning, two police officers find Dick Rowland on Greenwood Avenue and detain him. Um, the same day, like there's no even um, filing. Checking. What's with- it called? pressing charges she's not pressing charges the police just just have pursued him yeah off a story so that same day that he is detained the papers were immediately printing salacious headlines about a quote rape in an elevator and specifically telling all of the tulsa residents where this 19 year old was being kept by the police what exact like police station within the hour 19 year old yeah he's only 19 the um dick roland the guy who yeah. entered the elevator yep 19. oh i don't know why i thought he was older he's 19 and the elevator operator was 17 okay got it and i kind of skipped this part but there was also something i found only in one article so i didn't know well, i didn't sure. have a way to corroborate it but that because of that you know that boss story where he had a routine of going up there that yeah. it's possible that him and sarah like had at least a friendly relationship that they like knew each other because he would always go there for the bathroom got it so yeah now the newspapers are telling everyone this false story of what happened and that this quote rapist who's this just innocent guy going to the bathroom exactly where he's being kept so within the hour there was a white mob outside the tulsa county courthouse demanding dick roland to be to be released to them Um, At about 9.30, a group of 50 to 60 black men armed with rifles and shotguns arrived at the jail in support of Dick Rowland and helped the police officers barricade the 
PlayStation. Basically what had happened is when the white mob came, the black people in Greenwood, like a little while away, were having meetings and discussing what to do. And that was their decision to offer support and protect this man. Okay. Now the white people outside the courthouse see that the black residents have brought guns and they flee the courthouse. And that's the end of our story. I wish. Is it? It's not because instead of them, they do leave at least they leave, but instead of going to bed and thinking about what they've done, they gather more people, they gather guns and they return. So to the jail, to the jail. Yep. Okay. So now when they return, the white mob has now doubled in size and now they have weapons and the number is around 2000 people. Okay. Um, There's multiple accounts on this exact moment, but what seems most credible is that a quote white man attempted to disarm a tall African American world war one veteran, a struggle ensued and a shot rang out just like, on accident or someone grabbed the trigger it's hard to know it was a commotion but a shot rang out then according to the tulsa sheriff at the time quote all hell broke loose so people just shooting everywhere chaos ensues by the end of this round of gunfire because these are like old guns that have to be reloaded um 12 people lay dead 10 white people and two black people which seeing that enraged the white people because now it is confirmed in their head this is a um black uprising whatever riots yeah exactly even though if we boil it down they're the first people who started the gathering the quote-unquote rioting the white people have much what's the word many more people they're overpowering the black people there's like 50 black people black men and this 2000 people mob. So they eventually are able to push them further and further away from the courthouse and closer to the Greenwood Avenue start of the neighborhood. It's kind of like the courthouse is sort of on the edge of the white neighborhood leads down the road closer to Greenwood Avenue. And then there's a set of railroad tracks and like cliche, the railroad tracks is the segregation line in the start of the Um, Greenwood neighborhood so along this way the white mob started smashing windows and looting stores along the way and while this initial violence is breaking out the Tulsa police when you hear about violence breaking out in your town what do you do you start to you start to stop it exactly you try to de-escalate the situation with the least amount of violence possible yeah the Tulsa police are reported to at this moment when they see violence is breaking out to have deputized uh, deputized around 30 to 40 men meaning Uh. that they in that moment they made 40 at most 40 more men police officers with the legal right to kill just so they just people off the street just men who were gathering with weapons, they gathered them and sworn them in as police officers that night to boost their power. And now all these men are legally allowed to kill anyone they want. 
they were instructed to, quote, get a gun and get a N-word. Oh. Yes. I Is this happening over the span of days or is this like just it goes from the jail straight to this? Yeah. So this whole event happens over three days. Okay. So where we are right now is so the elevator thing happened Monday morning. Right. Is that correct? Yes. <clears throat> Monday morning. So then he flees the just a little recap. He flees the elevator. Then the story is circulating. The next morning he's picked they up. Get him. Tuesday. Then there's so this is so Tuesday, Tuesday night into Wednesday. Exactly. We're Tuesday night when the real violence starts happening. Okay. So this that was a perfect segue. Oh my gosh! Listen to my next <laughs> sentence. The fighting bled into the next morning of Wednesday, June first. The two groups were fighting over the Frisco tracks. Remember the railroad mm-hmm. tracks. They were literally fighting across these train tracks when a train pulls through and the passengers are forced to hit the deck because of the gunfire. Shots are firing through the train, through the window, smashing the glass. They don't even stop for the train. Oh, my God. Right. At around 1 a.m., the white mob began setting fire to the Greenwood neighborhood, not only from the ground, but also from the sky. Yeah. Yeah. Multiple eyewitnesses described airplanes carrying white passengers who not only fired rifles at the fleeing black families, but also dropped, quote, firebombs onto the Greenwood businesses, homes, and literal fleeing people. Yes. So remember, yeah, did that happen in the, was there planes? Yes. So as the Western film is coming to a close, Uh the piano music starts to sound less consistent. You realize it's being played by a woman who is crying and you hear sirens starting to go off. And so I'm assuming this is Wednesday morning. Yes. When, so they, they, her and her husband and the child have a plan. There's like, they seem to know what the plan is if this happens. So I'm assuming people had passed it on into the city. And, oh, yeah. Uh, there was definitely meetings beforehand being like, yes. everyone get prepared. And I found it interesting that the mom had the rifle and the dad was holding the child as they were running through the town, Both. dodging yeah. bullets left and right. And there's, as you were saying earlier about the war being over. So there's all these veteran, like soldiers that are kind of like yeah. antsy pantsy. And, and you could see that ready just like fighting. sitting on the backs of trucks and reloading rifles and yeah. Yes. And like, <sighs> like they were in a movie. And so mm-hmm. you watch this family make their way to um, a getaway location and okay. there's only room for their young boy. And so you watch them then separate and he, uh, the father gives the son a piece of paper that says, watch over this boy um mm. and tucks it into his shirt and he goes with these two other people and their baby and then the mom and dad um stay behind looking like they're trying to get out help or something yeah then you s- watch the carriage pull away and um air bombs drop on the building that they were just in oh so. that the parents went into yes yeah so the parents die there mm-hmm. um eventually it cuts to the wagon making it out of the town but the little boy is woken up and he realizes that he is in the grass and he hears a baby crying and he finds the baby and it's just them 
and the driver has been shot and the woman has been shot. So it's just this little, probably like six or seven year old boy carrying a literal infant Mm -hmm. walking off together. Um, And that's about what they give you. Oh, and the reason he's able to see his parents' building get exploded is because bullet holes have made holes through the crate he is hiding in. Oh. So he's like peeking out a literal bullet hole. And sees the explosion. Yeah. So yes, that Uh is, that was portrayed. (laughs) Yes. Yes, I'd say so. Um, So remember our lawyer from earlier? Yeah. Buck Colbert Franklin? Mm -hmm. So he was a survivor of this massacre and he later wrote a 10 page type right it says typewritten letter, but I guess that means written from a typewriter. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to read a little section of it about these aerial attacks. Okay. So he says, Lurid flames roared and belched and licked their forked tongues into the air. I'm like, okay. When I read that, I was like, we have to read this thing. He is a beautiful writer. Yeah. Smoke ascended the sky in thick black volumes and amid it all, the planes, now a dozen or more in number, still hummed and darted here and there with the agility of natural birds of the air. Planes circling in midair, they grew in number and hummed, darted, and dipped low. I could hear something like hail falling on top of my office building. Down East Archer, I saw the old Midway Hotel on fire, burning from its top, and then another and another and another building began to burn from their top. The sidewalks were literally covered with burning turpentine balls. I knew all too well where they had come from. And I knew all too well why every burning building first caught fire from the top. I paused and waited for an opportune time to escape. Where, oh, where is our splendid fire department with its half dozen stations? I asked myself, is the city in conspiracy with the mob? So... Cars were flying through the streets, open fire shooting at any black citizen in sight. Overwhelmed by the sheer number of attackers and the just absolute violence that was occurring, all of the residents and business owners of Greenwood began to flee north. At this time, the National Guard was called in and General Charles Barrett. Is that who you talked about earlier? No. Okay. I talked about Bass Reeves. Oh, okay. But close. Um, General Charles Barrett, because I was like, I think he's white, um, declared martial law in the city, which means basically like a police state. By noon that day, the troops had managed to suppress any remaining violence in Greenwood, and thousands of black residents had fled the city by this point. But this is where it really gets bad for me. But after the event, the troops did manage to gather up 6,000 people remaining behind in Greenwood and they nursed them all back to health, right? No. These black survivors were seen as threats and so they were sent into detainment centers, aka concentration camps, because their towns and homes and families were destroyed. Black residents were not allowed out of these detainment centers until a white person from the city came and vouched that they were a safe member of the community. And even My then, couldn't open wider. Yeah, they. <laughs> I'm sorry to laugh right now, but your eyeballs were really huge. I know. Even after that, listen to this. Even after that, okay. 
All the black citizens of the city were forced to carry an identification card that was signed by a, quote, white sponsor that was basically vouching that this was a safe black person. This is the Holocaust. This is the Holocaust. Literally. Before the Holocaust happened. Before. Yeah. They had identification cards literally saying this is a safe person to be around. After that happened to them, their neighborhood was burned down. So After what happened to... After, like, the Greenwood Massacre happened to them, now these black residents are seen as... Oh, yes. Dangerous. I'm like... They're seen as dangerous. Right? Yeah. I'm like, we. they didn't have the airplanes full of fireballs. Fire. Yeah. They what the hell? fire on themselves. They were running. <sighs> okay, so... Reports at the time severely downplayed the obvious domestic terrorism and blatant genocide of this event, like we just said, Mm -hmm. blaming the black citizens for the atrocities that had happened to them. At the time, it was reported that a total of 76 people were found dead. But now we know that the number is much closer to 300. Over 800 people were admitted to local hospitals, and like I said, around 6,000 black citizens were placed in internment camps for several days after the attack to their community. At the end of all the violence, over 10,000 black folk were left homeless. So at the beginning, I said there was 11,000 people in the city. That just really shows how the devastation, there was no homes. Yeah. They just burned everything, including their businesses looted and burned to the ground. Watching what they had worked decades to build brought to the ground in under 48 hours. Many of the survivors of this massacre left Tulsa, but those who stayed were met with a community that refused to admit the entire event even happened at all. Regardless of race, most citizens of Tulsa refused to talk about the terror, violence, and devastation that had happened over those two days. Not a single white perpetrator of this attack was ever punished by the law. Not one. I mean, they're still prosecuting Nazis today, former Nazis today. Yeah. It's wild to me. Yeah. It's a whole... They eradicated a town, and then just the next day, we're like, whatever happened? Greenwood who? The ultimate gaslighting. (laughs) Like, (laughs) so ultimate. So much. While black survivors of the attack were held in camps and forced to prove that they were safe, the white folk were able to just pretend like Greenwood had never existed. The Tulsa Race Massacre wasn't even taught in Oklahoma public school until 2018, almost a century after the attack. We wouldn't have learned that if we went to school there. No, we would have been out of high school by that time. And college. Oh, and college. (laughs) I forgot about college. Completely erased from the history books. Completely. Until very recently. It just feels like utter human failure. Utter. And that was the feeling I had when I watched this episode and then realized it was a true story. I was just like, how, how have I never heard of this? And how is this not taught to children, especially people in Oklahoma? Like I had a whole course on Illinois. I guess I didn't looking back on it. We didn't talk about any of, I'm sure there's like native tragedy in Illinois. The effects of these three days don't really stop with the violence that happened on that day, because Mm -hmm. it's also important to look at the rippling 
impact that this can have. So that's kind of why I really went into detail with all of the businesses and the entrepreneurs of the community of Greenwood at the top, because here are a couple of other companies to think about. We have Lowe's, CVS, Winn-Dixie Grocery. Have you ever heard of those? Yes. Um, and Walt fucking Disney mm-hmm. were all companies that started in 19 in the 1920s by white people. So the companies that were already in the businesses that were thriving in 1920s in Greenwood had just as many like capabilities and to work, turn out the way to turn out to be did. huge corporations. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just like Walt Disney. So gener- like generational wealth makers, huge, huge. Yeah. And the legacy of, or this, I guess the message that it sends to other communities of if you as black people rise too high, we're going to crush you down. That tells Mm -hmm. all the other communities who are building up like Greenwood to not get too powerful. (sighs) That one really got me. Yeah. Awful. Just the, like the businesses part and the, like there was women business owners. There was people like who taught like dressmaking and all these different things that could have gone to be these huge fashion brands or I don't know, all these different things. Despite trying to be whitewashed out of America's history, though it did it very well. um, Tulsa now has taken some ownership and recognition of the event, like installing some plaques and like memorials and stuff, which seems I'm like, there's nothing that could really, yeah. It's just like okay, there's that a statue bring there. Back. Great, yeah. great, great. It's like when they painted the streets that said Black Lives Matter. I was like, great. Yeah. It's a street. Okay. Um, <laughs> new buildings have been built, um, but the damage still remains. <sighs> so that was a lot of like black tragedy to listen to yeah. all in one setting. So I didn't want to end on that note. So currently, there's a project in the same vein as Greenwood. Um, It is called the Freedom Georgia Initiative. It has goals of creating a, quote, resource-rich, innovative community to serve as a safe haven for black families. So this initiative, it was founded in 2020 in the response to the mass violence against black citizens, specifically by police officers. Mm -hmm. Um, Since that time, this black-led group has acquired a plot of 502 acres to build their town of freedom, Georgia upon. So there are a whole idea is creating the new black wall street, essentially. Right. Um, So we'll post in our episode description where you can find more information on their programs and assistance that they offer as well as where you can donate to. Yes. So I, I need to end on something else. Um, But that is the true story of the Tulsa race massacre and the inspiration for the first episode of the Watchmen. And I would say it is yeah, based. Right off the gate, based? Yeah, I don't think I have... Uh, there's nothing about it that feels biased towards mm-hmm. any party. If anything, it was a very limited view of the violence. Yeah, yeah. But I would still say based. Yeah, with so little to go off of, just like those seven minutes, I can't imagine packing all of that in. But yeah, from what you described, it sounds like a real families experience through their lens yeah. of what the tragedy looked like for them. Yeah. Cause there was the plan, like even though I didn't see them planning 
there was clearly planning happening for this event mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. prior to what I saw. So it's, yeah. yeah, based. Based, baby. Easy. Feels good to, feels good to have a good old, like, based. Like, yeah, I, I've never seen something more based. I wish it wasn't because, like, I hate that that's true. Exactly. Right. Exactly. <laughs> and this, I might be wrong about this, but I feel like Watchmen did at least on the internet spark a at least a couple of articles i saw of like guess what this thing that you watch is actually a true event because that's how i Mm. saw about it so that's awesome i know the the show itself doesn't have much to do with that it really takes that kind of tension between white and black people of the time and escalates it it to now yeah Yeah. exactly big time um so i hear you have a little um secret for me I do have a secret for you. I want to make sure I say it right because you know me and my tongue twister brain. Exactly. Oh, and while you're looking it up, don't forget that we are also on Instagram at based biased or BS. It's just the whole um, name set out. I remember last week we like plugged the Instagram and then didn't say the Instagram handle. We were just like, we have Instagram. Um, So it's at based biased or BS all typed out like that. Okay. It is. I pray you haven't watched this one, but... Okay, I pray I haven't... Wa- and this is what we're going to cover next week. On the basis of sex. On the basis of sex. I... Do you want me to give you more than that? Um. What it is? What do you mean what it is? Have you like heard of it? Like what it's about? Yeah. I, feel, I feel like I've heard about it, and I might have watched it. You remember my memory. I have no idea. But... Yeah, I don't know anything about it, I think. It is The Life of Ruth Bader Ginsburg. <gasps> okay. I have not watched this. Okay. Yay. In a specific case that she argued, that she um Prosecuted or something. Judged. I think she was well, a judge. We'll find well, out. We'll find out next week. We'll find week. out. Or yes, you next, will. Oh, yeah, next week. Okay. Yeah. Um, thanks for chatting today, and, and thank you. Yeah. Thanks for listening. for chatting listening. and thanks for listening to our voices. Our pretty little voices. Yeah. <laughs> okay. That's all I've got for you today. Goodbye. Okay. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>